In the mid-90s, the Castlevania design team was looking to do something completely different. Drawing inspiration from earlier games in the series, and of all places, The Legend of Zelda, they decided to drop the traditional stage progression and replace it with a large open castle for players to explore. On top of that, they added traditional role-playing elements to allow players to feel a sense of progression, gaining strength as they delve deeper into Dracula's castle. The result of these and many more changes was the 1997 hit game Castlevania Symphony of the Night and the topic of today's episode. So stick around and join us for today's castle exploring trip down memory card lane. morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 78th episode of our video game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, we're looking back at Castlevania Symphony of the Night, released for the PlayStation initially on March 20th, 1997. Wait, what? Yeah, so at this point, you got to be asking, you know, Dave, it's not March 20th. What gives? Yeah, Dave, what gives? What gives? I know. Well, you know, the right answer is that Dave accidentally put this on the schedule a month early and then didn't realize it until we were planning all these episodes around it. Also, it's my podcast and I can do what I want. But I have an alternative explanation. You ready? Sure, Dave. Let's hear how you possibly could bring this one back together. Aha. So today's topic is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Symphony of the Night was eventually re-released as a remastered port as part <clears throat> of the Dracula X Chronicles. The Dracula X Chronicles was released in Europe on February 18th, 2008. So yeah, all part of my master plan. Yeah, sure, Dave. It's also it shows how very good you are at uh, coming up with bullshit to make you still correct, even though when you're blatantly wrong, can, which is where I get it from. Yeah, true statement. Can I play the birthday card? Because this episode's going to be released on my birthday. Yeah, you know, if it weren't for the fact that this was planned prior to your birthday and not just a last minute thing, I could give you that slip. But I guess that's up for the listeners to decide. So tell Dave that happy birthday, but also how wrong he is, because I mean, Dave is wrong. Dave is wrong. Well, I'm David Casson, and as always, that other voice, my co-host, always there, who has been hunting vampires his whole life, is my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how is the vampire hunting business these days? Well, not as good as you think. They're, no. uh, they're, they're, it, it. I'd say that it sucks, but that would imply that the vampires are out there doing their thing. And, you know, they're just they're a lot better at hiding it these days. There's so many people who just choose to be that way on their own that you can't tell. And you can't just go around shooting people with with uh, anything to take out vampires. (laughs) You ever you ever watch the TV show What We Do in the Shadows? I have not, although I've seen many commercials for it, but it does look hilarious. I love that show. Vampire hunting business is okay these days. Okay. So what uh, what are we playing? What have we been up to this week? 
Well, Dave, this week has been, as usual, RuneScape. Got a little bit more Rocket League in this week than normal. And also got to play a little bit of... Uh, wow, I just totally blanked. <laughs> the game we're talking about? No, no, hold on, hold on. I got to do a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duels, thanks to my roommate from college. So, you know, getting back into the Yu-Gi-Oh! For anyone and listeners who enjoy that, tell me good stuff, because I'm sick of getting my butt beat by my buddy all the time, because he's really, really annoying with his cards. Um, And also, very, although not as nearly much as I would like to have, I did get to play Castlevania. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dave... How about yourself? RuneScape, Rocket League, Valheim, and 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 Castlevania: Symphony of the Night. I didn't get to play it all the way through, which I really would like to finish now, and I'll probably put that on my schedule. But I got to play it and uh, remembered why I loved this game so much. But we're gonna cover that in just a moment. First, for well, let me start by this. What's your familiarity with the Castlevania series? You a Castlevania fan? I don't have much experience with it, so I can't say that I'm not a fan, but I can't say that I am. Um, just that I know it exists. I have a basic idea of it, and I think that it's cool. And maybe if I had more time or had spent more time playing, I could say that I'm a fan or not. I think that I would be, though, if I spent the time and actually got through the games. Not just this title, but any of the others. You don't have a. You haven't really dabbled in the series at all much. It's one of those ones that always popped up. I always saw the name. Obviously, when we were growing up, you played the hell out of this game. Yep. Um, but it just it never really fell into my wheelhouse. It, it was. I think that at the time, I just had so many other games that were so similar. Because I mean, playing this, it reminds me of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in Time or Ninja Gaiden that we played, or really any game from the area that's. You jump, you run, and you hit stuff. Your basic platformer, which is great by the means, and it was all about the storytelling back then, which was awesome, but it just wasn't at the time what I was looking for. And now that I have more of appreciation for games and all their little intricacies, even though the similarities between them, I just haven't had the time to commit to the series. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of games in this series. Um, oh, yes, there are. <laughs> I know. I know on our Switch that we have the classic series. Um, yep. and then I, you know, I, I need to get some of, I, well, we'll cover that in a moment. So uh, since we've never covered a Castlevania title before, I wanted to start out with a little brief history of the series. I, I won't go as far in depth as if we cover the first game in the series, cause I still like to do that, but I thought I'd give us a little bit of a primer because I know, I know for a fact actually that we have listeners who aren't necessarily video gamers. Uh, and so, you know, consider your audience, Dave. Yeah, Dave. <laughs> so Castlevania is a gothic horror action adventure video game series about vampire hunters. You know, it first debuted in 1986. Um, it's a side scrolling platform game where you take the role initially of Simon Belmont, who he's a descendant of well, the Belmont belmont clan and the belmont clan are a family of vampire hunters and in the first castlevania title you travel to dracula's castle and you fight your way through the castle working to 
kill Dracula uh, and working to essentially kill the castle. Um, in all the Castlevania titles, the, the castle is really a, a character in itself and you're, you know, you're fighting as much against it as you are Dracula. In fact, I'd say you're very much fighting the castle to get to Dracula and it's trying its best to make sure you can't get there. Um, so yeah, so Dracula and Dracula's castle by the time that our topic for today, symphony of the night was released in 1997. There had been 11 Castlevania titles that preceded it. Uh, some of which don't share the Castlevania name. For instance, uh, there is a title in the series called Vampire Killer, which was actually developed at the same time as the original Castlevania, but it was released in Europe before Castlevania was released in the United States. And that's important because it wasn't until they brought this series over to the United States that the name Castlevania was was made. Um, it's Japanese translate. It's Japanese title translates to, or at least they thought it translated to something like Dracula's demonic castle or something like that. And because they didn't want to have that, that satanic demonic connotation, they sought to find a different name for the game and Castlevania is what they came up with. Um, but like I said, vampire killer, uh, was released in Europe before Castlevania name was invented. And so they called it vampire killer. And so it doesn't share the name Castlevania. Um, there was one other one I can't remember at the moment, but anyways, there were 11 titles in the Castlevania series before, before Symphony of the night. Um, that's a lot more than I thought, Dave. <laughs> oh man. Wow. Wait, um, so I, I have wow. it at, I have it at the end. So I'm not going to give you the answer now, but uh, just and I'm going to write it down. How many titles do you think there are in total as of right now in a series? I mean, in 97, there were already 11. I'm going to say 27. Okay. All right. Well, we will revisit it. So we'll we'll see if you're right. So. We'll see if you're right towards the end when I cover the legacy. I have, I know I have the number in there, but you know, the point is, is I really wanted to point out that, you know, here the, the Castlevania franchise really had a, a, a very robust history leading up to this point, you know, so it's not like Cynthia Knight came out of nowhere. It was special though. So in 1994, Konami, the developer of the Castlevania series, was looking to create a Castlevania game for the Sega 32X. Rob, do you remember the 32X at all? I do not at all. It does not even sound familiar. It was an add-on for the Sega Genesis, which was a 16-bit system. It plugged into the top, if I remember correctly, the top of the Genesis, and it was a 32-bit add-on. It was... It was it, it, that was essentially it. It was a 32-bit add-on for the for the Sega Genesis, and it played, you know, obviously had more powerful hardware and played better games. Um, it, it wasn't, I mean, it was cool. I remember playing some games on it, but it, it, it never really was a game changer, you know, because eventually the next generation kind of gave way, and and that was that. Uh, but anyways, you know, Konami wanted to make a game for it, and this game was tentatively called Castlevania: The Bloodletting. Uh, as part of the process, they created a playable prototype, 
but on the horizon was the Sony PlayStation and hype was growing for the PlayStation. And so Konami decided to cancel their project for the Sega 32X, cancel the bloodletting and repurpose the work done on a project for the place, the original PlayStation for the PS one. The person they brought on to produce this project was Otoru Hagahara. Hagahara had worked for Konami for years. He shows up in the credits of a Konami game as early as 1988, where he is credited as a Konami bug checker for a game called The Adventures of Bayou Billy. What, did he go around the the office and make sure there are no bugs? Uh, Well... Well, I think that would be normally a funny joke. Unfortunately, as gamers, we're no we're no you know stranger to bugs nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Probably shouldn't. Uh... <laughs> in fact, Good point, Dave. In fact, I think they're worse now than they've ever been when it comes to video games. At least at one point, you know, because patches weren't an option. You know, video game companies felt that they actually had to take the time to correct these bugs before they released games. Now we have early access where every every uh, developer thinks that ga- the ga- the paying public should be their bug checkers. But uh, I digress. Uh, Hagahara was later credited as a programmer on a number of earlier Konami titles. These included uh, Top Gun The Second Mission, which I dug. I think we have that. Skater Die Bad and Rad. I don't know if we had that one. That wasn't the original Skater Die. Operation C, which is a Game Boy title in the Contra series. And in 1991, he continued his work on the Game Boy as a programmer for Castlevania II Belmont's Revenge. In 1993, he was asked to be the director of another Castlevania title uh, for the NEC PC engine, uh, and this game was called Castlevania Rondo of Blood. So Rondo of Blood was the first Castlevania produced on a CD-ROM. And, it, you know, CD-ROM allowed people to... It was a lot more storage space than everything they were used to up until that point. And so the space allowed them to feature actual CD-quality audio. And it was a fully voiced game in the Castlevania series. Um I should point out that Symphony of the Night is actually a sequel to Rondo of Blood uh, and and that Hagahara stayed on to produce Symphony of the Night as well. But with that being said, halfway through development, he was promoted in the company. And so the person that took his place was he that was later credited as assistant director, uh, which is a very prominent name in the Castlevania series moving forward, uh, Koji Igarashi, or also known as IGA. So, Igarashi's first project for Konami was working as a programmer for a simulation game within the company's educational software department. Uh, after working on the simulation game, he became a programmer and writer for a dating sim called Toki Meki Memorial. I think that's what it's called. While working on this dating sim, his girlfriend, who would later become his wife, was a fellow employee at Konami, and she was working on Rondo of Blood. During Igarashi's lunch breaks, he would take writing advice from his girlfriend, and she would allow him to play Rondo of Blood on his breaks. Hmm. 
So after the release of Tokimeki Memorial, the dating sim, he let his boss know that he basically had no desire to work on a plan, a sequel. There was a planned sequel to the game. And after the release of the first one, he requested transfer to another department. This was granted and he joined the Castlevania development team. Now, initially, he was a scenario writer and programmer, uh, but when Hagahara was promoted, he also was promoted to assistant director and he took the helm. Um, Hagahara was still kind of involved in the development of Symphony of the Night, but not not nearly as much. Uh, so it's important to know that they both kind of did the job, um, but Igarashi is kind of seen as the guy. The guy. The guy. The guy. The guy. Uh, he stayed on as like the lead of the Castlevania series for like another ten plus years. Oh wow! Uh, so he became he became the the guy for Castlevania. I think he didn't leave Konami until like 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Damn. Which he did leave eventually. He did leave eventually. Hey, have you? Uh, as a side note, I mean, I, I you know, um, have you seen? a game called, even if it's just an advertiser or something called Bloodstained uh, Ritual of the Night. It sounds very familiar, yeah. It's everywhere. I mean, you see it on sale on Steam. It's a Game Pass game, I think. Um, it's pretty much everywhere. Uh, after he left Konami, that's what he went to do. Uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is the quote-unquote spiritual successor to this game. So, Oh, very interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. But from the beginning of the game's development, the entire team knew that they wanted Symphony of the Night to represent a new direction for the Castlevania franchise. You know, initially it was thought to be a side story, a uh, spinoff or Gaiden. I like using that word to the main series. And the fact that it was going to be a side story really allowed them to break a lot of traditional Castlevania conventions and also gave them the freedom to introduce many of the new elements that have become mainstays to the franchise today. You know, at this point with 11 games before everyone was really starting to see a ton of Castlevania games in the bargain bins at video game stores, uh, you know, cause the game had been out for a while and you know, it, it was popular and mass produced. And so, you know, it became one of those and everyone knew that they wanted to, they had to do something different to, erase the mentality that Castlevania was just a, a cheapy cheap, you know? And so one thing that they all wanted to create right from the get go was a game that could be enjoyed for a long time. It was felt by the team that many of the earlier action games, Castlevania included were just too short. And so this led to the team ditching the traditional stage by stage progression, you know, stage one, stage two, stage three, in a, in a linear side scroller that we're used to. They ditched it. And so they worked to create Symphony of the Night as an open world, open castle rather that players could explore. Um, they actually cite the legend of Zelda as inspiration for these elements. Uh, this one and other, I guess traits you could say that it gave to the Metroidvania genre, um, including all the exploration you have to do and all the necessary backtracking. It's kind of funny because when we think of backtracking, we don't necessarily think all the way back to Legend of Zelda, but I mean, it was there. 
you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I didn't, you wouldn't think of that. The team also looked back to an earlier game in the franchise, Castlevania II, Simon's Quest, the second Castlevania title for the NES. And they looked at the feedback and criticism received that 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 game received. Um, and it too was it was an open world game. It not not all the previous Castlevanias were stage by stage side scrollers. Castlevania two actually broke the mold itself and was an open world exploration game. And so the team looked back at that for inspiration. They liked it and they kind of wanted to do it. So they took those two games and and learned from them and decided to create an open open castle. But the way they did it is kind of, I mean, this is the Vania in Castle in Metroidvania. I'm even gonna lie, like this is the game that made it that they create a game that would initially make most of the castle inaccessible to the player, and that these parts would open up as the player obtained various items and abilities that will allow them to go deeper into the castle. The idea was is that they wanted to reward exploration but also kind of retain the hack and slack action from previous games in the series. Now, the other unique aspect of Symphony of the Night are the role-playing mechanics, because it is it does have RPG elements. The role-playing mechanics were added because Igarashi felt that the earlier Castlevania games were too challenging for the average player, and so to change that, he added the role-playing elements which is a leveling up system with experience points. And so it rewards players with better attack and better defense as they beat enemies and progress. One other thing that's special about Symphony of the Night is that it was also the first game that artist Ayami Kojima worked on in the video game industry. She is a now very notable artist. She gave this character design and art she gave the character design and art style to this this uh this iteration of a castlevania game and her character design and art style starting with this one would be the standard that these games would use for about the next decade no joke for the next 10 years they stuck to this style so wow uh, yeah so i mean there's some really cool things going on with Cynthia the night um it it, it it laid the groundwork for some very important people like Kojima's artwork and Igarashi's. I mean, that's when he joined the Castlevania franchise and he would essentially lead its direction for almost a decade, if not more. Um, and and I mean, it was it was basically a, a revitalization, a revitalization of the series, essentially. So let's talk. Let's let's what do you. Well, I mean, we both played a little bit. What do you like about this game, Rob? I well, honestly, the fact the role playing was kind of like the RPG elements was cool. The leveling up, um, because you know it's progress. You actually got something for it. It seemed like the game kind of, I wouldn't say became easier, but it was you had better stats to handle things, um. I definitely thought the movement was a slow at first and found out you can fast move, which was kind of cool. Um, the fact you can shapeshift is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Although I still don't really like, I guess I don't understand well enough if you're like a vampire, because then why can you turn into a wolf? But, you know, hey, it's still fun. 
Or a bat. Um, I mean, you can turn into a bat. Well, I mean, a bat makes sense, Dave. Vampire mist? bat. Mist? You could turn into mist? I mean, I, I don't know about the mist, but... I don't know. It's, it was kind of weird with all that, but I still think it's a fun game. It's definitely a platformer, and it has the hack'em slash'ems of the, the good old days, and, you know? Although I wish I would know more about it. I still enjoyed playing it. It just it was definitely reminiscent of the days when we were younger and playing all those kind of platforming games. Yeah, you know, we we talk about it a lot. I I mean, I talk about it all the time, but it's funny how your concept of of time changes. Um, I, I played through half of this game and I'll talk about that in a second, but you know, I was looking, there's a, there's a website, how to, how to beat, how, how long, how long to beat. That's what it's called. How long to beat. There's a website you can go on and people self-report how long it takes them to get through games. And I always like to look at the games to see like how, how long is a full playthrough. And I remember, you know, 97, I would have been 13. Yeah. So I was, I mean, right in the middle of my teenage years when I was a heavy, heavy, heavy gamer. I remember playing this. I played it a lot. And just thinking about how it felt like such a, a big game, if that makes sense. Like, and it is a big game. Don't get me wrong. It's a big game. But a, but a basic playthrough of this game is like eight hours. And a full playthrough is a little more than double that. And it it just it feels like such a longer game. I mean, as a kid, it felt like such a longer game. I guess as an adult, not as much. But as a kid, it felt like such a longer game. So I mean, it could also have been that as a kid, you were really, really bad at the game. So it took oh, you yeah. all longer because you kept dying a lot. And now that you're better at gaming because hand-eye coordination is more developed and fine motor skills, uh, you just can beat it easier. Yeah. So let's talk about the game a little bit. Uh, it is kind of unique. You know, I, I gave you a brief primer of the Castlevania series where usually in a Castlevania game, you're a member of the Belmont clan. Uh, working against the castle to defeat the castle and Dracula. But Symphony of the Night mixes it up a little bit. In Symphony of the Night, you are, um, you are actually Alucard, who is the son of Dracula. And Alucard, th- this one takes place about four, about four years after Rondo of Blood. And at the Rondo of Blood, Richter Belmont, one of the Belmonts, um, one of the Belmonts defeats Dracula and you know at the end of Rondo of Blood you see the you know the castle doing its whole destruction thing and then here the, the castle comes back and Alucard who's typically at odds with his father you know goes to find out what the heck's going on because like everyone else he figured that Dracula was gone and he finds the castle and he goes in the castle and he finds none other than Richter Belmont who has now proclaimed himself Lord of the Castle. And let's just be honest, that doesn't make sense, right? Because Richter worked so hard to defeat the castle of Dracula. Now here he is uh, as Lord of the Castle. No, he didn't try to defeat the castle, Dave. He just wanted to beat Dracula to take that badass castle. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll go with that. But to make a long story short, basically, you know, Alucard's wise to it and he ex- the goal of the game is to explore Dracula's castle to defeat one of Dracula's minions whose name is Shaft uh, and Shaft was in Rondo of Blood 2 and Shaft is actually the one controlling Richter Belmont and 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 yeah 
So that that's it. Is that their name? Because ultimately that is what they're going to get at the end of this game. <laughs> Not quite the end. Well, yeah, I guess it's the end of this game. So, but that's what I want to talk about. So one of the coolest things about this game is just that. And, and, and look, like I've seen this, the, the, this is a, a spoiler. This is going to be a twist. I'm, I'm sorry. This game's 25 years. So boo. But one of the coolest things about this is when you finally get to the end of the first castle, and that's exactly the point, first castle, um, you finally get to the end, you 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 go up against Shaft, you defeat Shaft, and then Shaft kind of gets away, and you find out that there is another castle, which is just an upside-down version of the first one, but it has new enemies and new bosses, like... That was the coolest fucking thing. That was the coolest fucking thing ever. And they even play it off like in the map. Like when you're when you're exploring the castle, the map goes up to 100. And actual the actual truth is defeating the game is 200.6. Um, so like they they played it off like, you know, the, the one castle was it. And you, you know, you do all this work. You get to the end. You get the shaft. You defeat shaft only to find out that you have to do it all over again in a mirrored version of, of the castle. Um, may, may I ask a question? Yeah. Why point six? There is an underground path in the game that gives you an additional point. It might be point three or point six. I think it's point three because it doubles up. There's this weird quirk in the game. I don't know if it's a programming error or what, uh, but it, it, it counted just over a hundred and that, that equals to a full game being 200.6. So, okay. yeah, a little fun thing, but yeah, so two castles, you have to explore them, you know, and as Rob said, you get a lot of really cool abilities. Like you can shape shift into a bat or, or a wolf and double jump is one of the, one of the, the abilities you get floating i think because you could double jump and then glide glide i think is what it's called yeah you, you had different weapons you know in the all the other castlevanias you would use a whip but this one you have swords and other stuff you could use and then the role playing you know as you got stronger you got more hit points and you could do more damage and you had magic points that would decide you know it it would tell you how frequently you could use magic yeah I mean, so there was just a whole lot of really cool things. You could summon familiars in the game. That was neat. I don't remember the familiars. I didn't really I don't ever really play that way. So, um, yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. I don't even really play that way. But there was all these really cool things that that you could do. And um, I, I just love I love Castlevania Symphony of the Night. That's I don't. I don't know. I just love it. I think it's a great game. It's got great soundtrack. It's got great artwork for its time. I think it holds up well to this day, um, especially in this little retro renaissance that we we get sometimes. Um, and, and above all, it's just solid gameplay. Just solid, solid gameplay. So oh. I loved it. I loved it. I know you used to sit and watch me play. So, show enough. Because I, this is one of those games that I've played over and over and over, not so much as an adult, but as a kid, like there were games like I've talked in the past about how I used to play Final Fantasy seven every year. 
this was another one of those games that I would pick up and play over, you know, uh, uh, over and over again back back in the day when that was a thing. Well, Rob, I love it. Did other people love this game? Well, Dave, first up, we'll talk about the critics. So GameSpot wrote that since its U.S. debut in 1987 on the NES, Konami's Castlevania series has gone on to become one of the most popular franchises in video game history, with releases on nearly every major platform, including the Super NES, Genesis, and Game Boy. The later installment, Castlevania Symphony of the Night for the PlayStation, is quite possibly the best 2D action side-scroller ever. It's easily one of the best games ever released and a true testament to the fact that 2D gaming is not dead by any stretch of the imagination. The game is very large and will keep you entertained for a long time. I like the fact that way back in 1997, they were talking about how 2D gaming was dead. Like that's been a conversation that's still going on to this day, you know, and we, it, it just is, you know, that's something that you hear every so often. But here back in 97, people were griping about 2D gaming being dead. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's definitely kind of funny considering, I mean, one of the biggest games in the last few years, like Cuphead, is 2D. There's a lot of good 2D games. I mean, that was just one that blew up all around, like a lot that I can think of off the top of my head. The 2D platforming. I think um, uh, Metroid Dread which came out last year is I'm maybe more 2.5 D, but I think that fits the bill. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, even now I would hardly say that it's dead or even close to, I mean, sometimes it's just something fun about a jump and shoot. Yeah, for sure. So next up we have IGN who wrote the Konami's Castlevania series is one of the most enduring and expansive in the video game market. The game series has always been renowned for its incredible design, hidden secrets, outstanding visuals, and top quality gameplay. So it was with much anticipation that I loaded this all-new 32-bit version. My first impression was one of immense disappointment. Mm. I know. It looks like the same old 2D platform action as before. The graphics are initially similar looking to SNES and Genesis incarnations of the game. The character animation isn't particularly smooth, and 3D is redesigned the limited background effects and the odd special effect. Apart from the various PSX arcade compilations out there, games don't look much more retro than this. But knowing the age-old maxim that it's not how it looks, it's how it plays that matters, I started to play and played and played. The proverb, don't judge a book by its cover, has never been truer than with this game. Castlevania Symphony of the Night is a classic. Well, there you go. Not everyone agrees with me that the art style was, you know, something special. Some people didn't think that maybe it was a big enough jump at the time. That's all I can think of. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it could have been very similar to the game of the games prior to it, but you know, to each their own. Some people really like that, and they may not really notice that it was different, and they just enjoy the art style as a whole. Yep, true enough. Right, indeed. So, last up, we have John Riccardi, who wrote in Electronic Gaming Monthly, 
that if this isn't confirmation that the Konami of the old days is back and better than ever, I don't know what is. Castlevania Symphony of the Night is probably my favorite PlayStation game yet, and easily the best of the Castlevania series, of which I'm a huge fan, by the way. The graphics are incredible. Everything is animated with an amazing attention to detail, and the special effects used throughout provide an atmosphere that just begs to be experienced. The soundtrack is awesome as well. Every song is brand new. No remixes like in past Castlevanias, and each fits its area of the game really nicely. Also, the game is huge. There are two full castles to explore, tons of monsters and cool bosses, hundreds of items to obtain, and so on. Still, I do have two minor qualms about the game. One, I think that the voice acting bites. The voices themselves are fine, but the actors don't seem to understand their parts, and it adds an element of cheese I'd rather not have to deal with in a game of this caliber. Two, the game is a bit too easy, which is a letdown because past Castlevania games have been known to be tough. Other than that, though, Symphony of the Night rocks, and I honestly cannot recommend it enough. Uh, You know, I... Yes, the voice acting is cheesy. Uh, what is it? How does it go at the end? Draco goes, what is a man? A miserable pile of secrets. Like, it's so flippin' dramatic. I mean, it's Dracula, Dave, the uh, king of drama. Yeah, he is indeed the king of drama. Yes, indeed. Well, Dave, so we have some mixed reviews from critics. Mostly glaringly positive, though, just Mostly. with some minor issues. Yep. But uh, let's take a look at some user reviews from a retrospective look 25 years later. So Uncle Ed on Metacritic writes, A phenomenal game that deserves all the praise. This is the game that co-invented the Metroidvania genre together with Metroid. Yeah. First thing you notice when you start the game is its unique visual style. It definitely holds up and looks absolutely beautiful today. Better than most other PS1 titles. Music is also spectacular, especially in the first half of the game. Fitting to the vampire theme nicely and changing based on your location within the castle. Once you explore the castle, you gain access to the inverted castle, which is a top-down version of the same castle, with new puzzles, enemies, and bosses. There are some flaws. The infamous cheesy dialogue, written with poor English, which may now belong to a so-bad-that-it's-good category. Also, the game has a difficulty problem in the sense that it starts a bit too difficult. And depending on your weapons and skills, it may become way too easy before you are even halfway through. Finally, there are some areas which would be very hard to figure out without a guide. Despite all these flaws, Symphony of the Night's main strength is something lacking in most games. It has character. And if you feel strongly connected to it despite the many games you have played in the past which Castlevania Symphony of the Night has strongly influenced. That was a weird sentence, but that's not you. Yeah, I don't like that last sentence. That's not you at all. I know. 
Some people just write weird. I just I I said not follow. Okay. Okay. So say I mean you know there you go. It it was a phenomenal game. Also enjoyed the art style, but has its flaws. So next up we have Alex Pilgrim zero zero eight. I wonder if the first seven were taken. Who writes Castlevania Symphony of the Night is the franchise's best installment. This PS1 classic is a masterpiece in the tradition of Metroid. It is an evolved version of the original Nintendo game, featuring fantastic level design, stellar graphics, a terrific music score, and multiple endings. It's a must-play for fans. Konami has made several Castlevania titles since its release, but none of them have lived up to the greatness of Symphony. I would rate it with a 9.3 out of 10. That's very specific. It is very specific, but I dig it because that's still glaringly positive. <laughs> 9.3. Why not 9.4 or 9.2? Because the point three was just right where it felt correct, Dave. Mm-hmm. You just can't beat it. Okay. Although, maybe... F- no, Plasma Needle. There we go. That was a hard one. I don't know. So last up, we have user Plasma Needle on Metacritic, who kept it short and sweet. He writes a classic, although not quite as good as Super Metroid. This game is one of the best 2D games there are. It evolved the Metroidvania formula and added always welcome RPG elements. Carries on the atmosphere and exploration of the classic Metroidvania games. Definitely worth it. Yes, it was definitely, definitely worth it. So let's talk about the legacy that Symphony of the Night left behind. You know, the game, the game still exists today in a form. It was first ported over to the Sega Saturn, though it's just an okay port. You know, Igarashi himself isn't very much a fan of the port. It, it, it was, as he puts it, it was a simple port given to another company. They didn't really do anything with it, so he's just, you know, really lukewarm feelings about it. Castlevania Symphony of the Night was re-released for the Xbox Live Arcade, for those of you that remember that, back in 2006. Um, I remember it. It was big news when it came out because it was the first game to break the service's initial 50 megabyte total file limit when they when xbox live arcade was first released it was just a bunch of little indie games like geometry wars and i don't know uno and and uh, uno is probably way later but it was just a bunch of little games and so at the time they could only you know they could only be 50 megabytes you know they didn't have a lot of storage and everything and it was big news when this came out because it was going to break it and at the time, Xbox came out and said, we're going to do it to maintain the like integrity of this game or something like that is what it was. Uh, and so this game, this game was, it was the first game that you could buy on Xbox Live Arcade that was more than 50 megabytes, which is so crazy to think about nowadays, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely quite insane. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just preloaded a game today that's 50 gigabytes. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine because I have games that are that small, but just that that was such a huge deal back then. It was. Just I mean, weird. it was it was big news. It was it was the first one to do it, you know, and I remember I bought it. I bought it in the middle of all that hype, and I remember installing it on my. Did it go right on the drive? It might have ran right on the drive. It would because you don't have a disc. No, you had memory cards for the 360, didn't you? I don't recall. I always just had a drive because I remember having to replace the drive when I wanted a bigger size. I th- I don't remember. Anyways, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, yep. I I bought it. Uh, it was later. That version was later released on the PlayStation Network, and as part of the PlayStation Network, you could play it on the PlayStation Three. You could play it on the PlayStation Portable, and later on, you could play it at the PlayStation Vita. Now, harking back to the beginning and my lame workaround for why I could talk about this game legitimately this week, it was also part of Castlevania The Dracula X Chronicles. Uh, the Dracula X Chronicles was a remake of Rondo of Blood because prior to the, the Chronicles, Rondo of Blood had never made it stateside. Uh, it was a Japanese-only release. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't even know that something in the night before I was doing my research on this, um, I, I you know, because... I've only really played it, never paid attention. I didn't know that Symphony of the Night was a sequel uh, to Rondo of Blood. I no clue. That was. Had you ever played Rondo of Blood? No, no, I hadn't. No, oh, so, so I mean, I guess that that would make sense why you wouldn't know that. Yeah, and so now I have to actually. It's now on my list to go and play it. Uh, I went and I. You can actually. I mean, Xbox Live Arcade. You can still go and do that stuff now, which is one of the cool things about Xbox. So I actually popped this up on my Xbox. But now I want to go and buy this Chronicles to be able to play Rondo of Blood. Go play Rondo of Blood. Uh, but Rondo of Blood was the remake also included a remaster of Symphony of the Night. Uh, the Dracula X Chronicles was re-released for PlayStation 4 as part of what's called the Castlevania Requiem Collection in 2018. So four years ago uh, is it the, the most recent release of uh, Symphony of the Night. And like so many of the reviews talk about, and I alluded to, you know, I, I really want to take a moment and talk about how Symphony of the Night, along with Super Metroid, are the two games by which the concept of Metroidvania was really, uh, really solidified. You know, we, we've talked about that genre before. I'm a huge fan of that genre. Uh, and and um, I think we first brought it up when we covered Metroid. We would have had to. Why else would we have covered it? We've never covered Castlevania before. Yeah, no, I think that would make sense to uh, talked about it then and, you know, not any other random game. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, you know, we, we kind of talk about it there, but it was really this game along with that with Sim- Super Metroid for the SNES. Those are really the, the like the golden standard games that really nailed down the formula for the genre and it's pretty much the games we look at now when we look look to what a metroidvania is um it's important to know that castlevania would follow this formula all the way through their game boy advance games and uh their nintendo ds titles they're all um i have most of them 
and all of the Castlevania titles through those through the handheld era would be this open world exploration of a castle type deal uh, with little tweaks to the formula here and there. All right, Rob, now now's the moment. You said in the beginning when I asked that there were 27 games in the franchise and you were really damn close, to be honest with you. Oh, as yeah. Of, How close was I, Dave? As of today, there are 29 games in the franchise. Damn. I wonder which two I forgot. Uh, I'm not even counting spinoffs, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um Oh, if, well, if that's the case, if they're well, counting spinoffs, there'd probably be like 74. Well, I, and what I mean by that is there's 29 games in the main core of Castlevania. And when I say spinoffs, like in 2010, they turned Symphony of the Night into a puzzle game for the mobile phone. I didn't bother including any of that stuff, um, truthfully. So there are graphic novels in the Castlevania series. And in 2017, Netflix released an animated uh, animated series called Castlevania, which is based on the characters from Castlevania three. It ran. Have you never seen Castlevania on Netflix? I honestly can't think that I have. Oh, I'm trying to remember it. Dude, you, you would, you would, because I know your taste in that stuff. You would, you, you'd like it. You, you owe it yourself to watch it. So okay. um, it's good. Uh, so they released it in 2017 and they, Produced it for four seasons. Uh, it ended. This version ended with the fourth season, which we got in 2021. So it's over. So you can watch it from beginning to end. And they're currently working on a new uh, animated series that is set in the French Revolution with descendants of uh, of the Belmonts and so on and so forth uh, during the French Revolution. And Dracula, of course. So... So we're still waiting for another title in the Castlevania series. It's been a. <laughs> I mean, I have to leave this in here because every time. Do you want me to talk to you about titles in the Castlevania series? Is that what's going on, dude? Good Lord. It's been a while since we've had a new title in the Castlevania series. I think 20. Uh, I'm not even going to do it, but, you know, last one we had was. Have, did you ever play the Castlevania Lords of Shadow games? You've never played Castlevania. Nope. So what am I talking about? Nope. <laughs> yeah, no. Also, you'd probably like them because they're a style of gameplay that you actually really like nowadays because they're kind of they're modern 3D hack and slash. You'd probably really like them. So anyways, Castlevania. Yay. Yay, Castlevania. But yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. That's what I have for something of the night. I look. I've been gloating on the game the entire time we've been talking. If if you've never played Symphony of the Night, I think it's one of those games that you kind of owe it to yourself to play. You know, it, it's if you're a fan of Metroidvanias, if anything, it's a it's a way to see the history of a genre you like and see kind of where it came from. Because you know, this is one of the, those two games were the games. You know, and if you're a fan of Castlevania, it's a way to see the early history in a, in a, a good version that holds up very well. It's just it's one of those games I think everyone should put on their their must playlist. So if you never played it, go play it. Yeah, go play it. You know, and if you don't want to play it, uh, that's okay. You know, every week when I post new episodes on our website, I also post links to all my show notes. And I've been getting in the habit of posting a 
walk a playthrough of all the games. So you can go to our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. And you can find a link to a let's play or walk, you know, playthrough on YouTube. And you can watch someone else play it. Uh, if you're the type of person that would prefer to, to watch games instead of play them. Rob, one of these days we should be doing these walkthroughs ourselves, but you know, we're not really there yet. So yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, that requires playing the games. And <laughs> I clearly have a very bad habit of not doing that. <laughs> well, also on our website is a link to our Patreon. If you'd like to support this, uh, to support us, uh, I finally got around to updating our calendar. So our, all of our upcoming topics through May are now, now posted. I believe it's May. If it's not April, end of April, I think I went through May. In any case, they're all posted on the website. So now you can see everything that we're going to talk about. And if you would like us to read your own opinion of the game, as opposed to finding the stuff we find online, there is a button to submit. We would be more than happy to share the opinions of our listeners. Uh, so you could do that. Uh, there's a link to our discord, which you could join if you'd like to come in and talk to us, discuss things with us or play games with us. And there's links to our social media, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all that jazz. The links are there. I'm David is wrong on those platforms. Rob, I know you're on Twitch these days. What's what's your what's your handle? Twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. Well, I uh, Rob, anything that you want to add about Symphony of the Night before I I, I, I start to wrap it up? Uh, no, I think I'm good on Symphony of the Night, Dave. Cool. Well, everyone, at the top of each episode, we talk about the goal. Each week, we try to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world as its legacy. I believe we've touched on all three today. Uh, as is in the spirit of learning or teaching, you know, when you teach people things, you learn as well. We learn something new every episode. And as part of our commitment to you, we like to go around and talk about uh, our biggest takeaways for each week. And I'll start with Rob. Rob, what did you learn today? Uh, well, first off, that there are actually 11 titles before this one. <laughs> I I just didn't realize that Castlevania was in that around that long that this would be an 11th title or 12th rather. Well, okay, so let's bri we'll, we'll briefly run on that. Uh, so the NES had one, two, and three. Castlevania one, two, and three. There were Game Boy games that were Castlevania 1, 2, and 3 that were not identical to the, the NES series. You had Vampire Killer. You had one other title I can't remember. It's a, it's a Castlevania arcade title called like Hunter Killer or something like that. And another arcade title called Versus Castlevania. And then in SNES, you had... What did you have in SNES? Castlevania um castlevania 4 and then you had castlevania 64 i think that's most all of them so yeah i mean it kind of cheats because it doubles up a little in the game boy days but there you there you go i think that's that's a lot of the titles oh well i mean i guess that makes sense i just had no idea i also guess i really didn't ever think that this had inspiration from the legend of zelda it's kind of cool yeah I agree. I, I, I would not have like playing it. I, I guess I didn't really get far enough in it to understand that or see it. But I guess, you know, it's it makes sense. 
Well, I mean, if you think about what they took from it, the the exploration, you know, the fact that Zelda isn't a linear game either, and that you had to backtrack to unlock things and get more things, you know, we we yeah, you know, it makes sense. It really makes sense what they took away, and it makes sense that Metroidvania has its roots there. You know, I, I've never really thought about taking uh, taking that concept that far back, but it really does make a whole lot of sense that. Uh, that it goes back that far. So sure does, Dave. Now, what about you? What, what's your big takeaway? I never realized this was a sequel. I mean that that when that was kind of a big epiphany for me. Uh, I, and now I, I I have heard of Rondo Blood, and I knew that the I knew that the um, I knew that the compilations existed, but I honestly never I've never touched them. Uh, and now that I know it's a sequel to you know I know that there is a prequel to one of my favorite games per se. I'm really intrigued by the Requiem collection and I may pick it up so I can play through Rondo of blood because now I'm really curious. So, um, that was, that was that, that one. I, I literally had no idea. I feel stupid. Like a lot of times I learn kind of weird things that it's like, and I feel like something as big as one of my favorite games from when I was a teenager is actually a sequel. I feel like I should have known that, but nope. Learn something new. I mean, is, you just never played the game before it. Yep. That's the and, point of you this. Know, it wasn't like today where you can just do a quick internet search and be like, oh, hey, this is a continuation. Maybe I should play the one before it. Yeah. Well, now, now, now that I know it's a sequel, the beginning makes a lot more sense. You know, yeah. I, I, no, it and, does. It, and, uh... <laughs> you know, when you when you play the beginning and you don't know that, you just kind of think, hey, they're they're telling some backstory. But when you know it's a sequel and you have that direct, you know, correlation, you're like, oh, we're replaying the end of the last game. You know, I mean, it is it's still doing exactly what you said. It's backstory. Yeah. It's just backstory from a previous story that they thought yeah. you played. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, that's that's that'll do it. We did it, Rob. We did it. We did it. Well, before I take it out of there and introduce our listeners to what we're covering next week, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, Dave, as always, I do want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone of you who listen. It's a fun ride. We're still taking it. And as long as we are, we hope you enjoy it with us. And being the one day of the year that I feel slightly compelled to be nice to Dave, I'll say happy birthday and thank you as well, Dave, for bringing me to be a part of this because it's been a fun ride and definitely looking forward to doing it more. But I've enjoyed the hell out of it and I'm happy that you asked me to do it and that you forced me to be here week after week. (laughs) Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Well, I'm glad you've stuck with it because it's 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 fun for me learning all this stuff about these games. Cause let's be honest. I, I learn, I'm learning too, you know, and there's no, as historians, we're always learning, you know, we're, it, it's impossible to remember every date, every event and all this stuff. So even when you're in it all the time, you're learning. And this is, this is my version of it. So, you know, I, I, I guess at this point, I'm getting to the point where I can write video game historian down on some of my resume stuff. Huh? Oh, yeah, it may be pretty useful in the future, you know. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, let's talk about next week. So next week, we're going to revisit a franchise that we've already looked at. uh, 
in a way, I, I think this is the first time we're actually going to do this. Uh, we're going to look at a reboot uh, at, at a franchise. Now, we've looked at other reboots, but I don't think we've ever done it before when we've looked at the original first and then the reboot. Oh, see, I was going to get you there, Dave, but you, you caught yourself pretty quick. So good well, job. yeah, Props yeah. To you. I mean, like Devil May Cry was a reboot. So exactly. Yeah, no, I know. But this but, but this is the first time we're doubling up on it. So anyway, released in 2004, Team Ninja's reboot of the Ninja Gaiden franchise comes after a several year hiatus of the Ninja Gaiden series. It's set in the same timeline as Team Ninja's Dead or Alive series. And a little known fact is that Ninja Gaiden, this 2004 version, was actually Team Ninja's first action title. Uh, prior to this, they'd really only worked on fighting games in the same vein of Dead or Alive. And so, with that being said, there was a whole lot of hype around this game because the Dead or Alive series was super popular and Team Ninja had a lot of notoriety behind it. And it was it was it was an exciting time when it was announced. That's all I'm going to say. It was a exciting time when it was announced. Um, Rob, do you think it lived up to the hype? Uh uh, mm, uh, pass. Yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you. So we'll we'll talk about that next week. So join us again next week as we revisit Ninja Gaiden on another gore filled trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do <laughs> the